0: Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends, and today's host, Nick, and with me is Tom and KJ. Great to have you back, as always. Additionally, joining us, a guest for this episode is Pat. Thanks for joining us today, Pat. Pat was part of our scout troop when we were growing up. Pat also brought insight and good discussion to the Planet of the Apes episode, and we're excited to have him back on the show. Pat still conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, which consists of two rounds of three questions to determine who will earn today's trivia crown. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we followed up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. Today's movie was suggested to us by Nick, which is me. We'll be jumping into the comedy horror Shaun of the Dead by Edgar Wright, who is also known for Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, and Baby Driver. Shaun of the Dead was in theaters with other horror films such as The Dawn of the Dead Remake, Hellboy, and Mean Girls. This is a comical horror in which the main character, Shaun, has not necessarily led a successful life, uh, just going through uh, the you know, normal monotonous days of uh, a person working in retail and the world then ends up in a zombie apocalypse. Uh, This is the worst time for one as he was just broken up by with his uh, girlfriend, uh, Liz, and a lot of craziness ensues as they try to find their way to survive this new environment. Now why did I bring this to our attention to discuss today? Uh, There's a few reasons. One of them, uh, we're about to enter the Halloween season, so I thought it would be a nice way to kick that off, maybe not with a serious horror, but something that's a little bit more fun and lighthearted. The other reason I brought this up is when I originally saw this movie, I thought it really had a nice balance between uh, an homage to the horror zombie films that it was trying to portray, as well as really hitting the uh, comedy notes. And the reason I say this is there are a lot of uh, horror films that due to their low budget nature tended to be comical, but weren't meant to be comedies. In this one, they were making a comedy and referencing a lot of those other things, but it really focused more on the humor. And when I think about that, I'm talking about Evil Dead, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I mean, there's a whole bunch of these things that are clearly horror films, but if you look at it through a different lens, they're comedies. Uh, This one that was their primary purpose and I, I just really always thought it was uh, it was well done. And this actually was written by Simon Pegg, who was the uh, main actor playing Sean in this too. So I just thought it would be a fun one to review before we get uh, you know deep into the horror movies later in this uh, coming month and uh, would lead to some interesting discussion. Now, Tom, what are your thoughts on this one?
1: I enjoyed this movie. I've seen it before and I've seen all of the Cornetto trilogy, I don't think in order, but I, I've seen all three of them I, I like this movie for i mean the horror stuff is is a lot of fun, and it it is funny um, but it it's sort of set off this this genre of like coming of age movies where the people who are coming of age should have done that already. <laughs> there are people like in their late twenties and early thirties who should have grown up and haven't, and the movie uses the the horror scenario, um, or the, the three movies, Hot Fuzz and At World's End, they each use kind of a horror or sci-fi scenario to prompt our, our lead characters to finally grow up, to finally come of age. Um, and it's, it's an interesting bend on the genre. And you can see like Judd Apatow comes after this, right? All of Judd Apatow's movies are also working in this theme. I guess not all of them, but many of them. And I enjoyed it for that reason. KJ, what do you think? This was the
2: first time i had seen Shaun of the Dead was for this show. So I watched it and I think I watched it incorrectly because I watched it by myself in an empty house with nothing else going on. I was bored the whole time. I think this movie, you need a group of people. I think you need a few people to start laughing at some of the dumber jokes and that should just snowball into a fun time. But that never happened, so I'm I'm afraid I'm going to be a stick in the mud for this episode here. But I did like the soundtrack. Soundtrack was a lot of fun. I didn't realize it was the same director as Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and Baby Driver. I'm glad all three of these movies were this were were made, but none of them really did it for me. Like they were all trying something a little new, but I just don't think it it actually connected and worked. Um, going to what Tom was saying about um people who are coming of age, but are kind of old to now be becoming of age. I feel like the early Kevin Smith movies did that better than uh, Shaun of the Dead. So I'd recommend maybe checking one of those out uh, instead of Shaun of the Dead. I mean, they're different goals, but how about you, Pat? What'd you think?
3: So this is this is one of the movies that I absolutely love uh, since the time that I first saw it, when it first came out. and I And I think it's important now that we are 16 years removed from when it came out, Dawn of the Dead at the time represented an entire shift in the zombie genre simply because the zombies sprinted at you this time in Dawn of the Dead. So the the idea that you know when we look at at the other movies that were coming out at the time where the zombie theme was was ramped up, Shaun of the Dead was not only a nice return to the the. The original George Romero-inspired um, zombie theme, but also throwing in the humor and the English humor at that. At times, um, was was just great. So one of the things about that, though, is, is I always come back to think I had just recently seen Dawn of the Dead, um, and it scared the pants off me. Just in terms of of the the the, the what if scenario associated with how you would hand handle a zombie apocalypse. Uh, and then returning back to Shaun of the Dead was, oh, this is this can be fun again. This th- this doesn't have to be, you know, me hiding in my closet now, waiting out the zombie apocalypse.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And 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 it's 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 always fun to see everyone's different perspectives on this. I had more familiarity uh, with the movies Tom mentioned: uh, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, and Shaun of the Dead, which were uh, written. Uh, by Simon Pegg and the director, Edgar Wright. And I didn't have as much familiarity with the other movies that KJ mentioned too. Uh, I do think of the three that I mentioned that Shaun of the Dead is the superior film, just my opinion. And that's why I I brought this to our attention today, not just with the timing. Now, Pat, uh, I know we asked you this question last time about The Perfect Snack. Now, I don't know if it's changed for this specific movie, but let us know what you would recommend to uh, enjoy while watching Shaun of the Dead.
3: Well, for any movie, I still hold true to the popcorn and the M&Ms and and that perfect mix. Uh, If you wanted to mix it up for a zombie movie, you could mix it up with some dark red wine and some beef jerky. Just wow. in terms of the tearing of the flesh and the drinking of the blood is is uh, <laughs> is one of the things that you 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 can uh, enjoy what the zombies are enjoying too. But uh, but my my top choice is that I would still come back to as always the popcorn and the M and M's.
0: Okay, we we had another guest who had that, but they didn't have such an intricate uh, array of like the placement of ratios. They they theirs was separate. theirs There was separate. Yours, I, I know there was a very specific science to it, so we enjoy it. Although I think I might try the dark red wine and some beef jerky the next horror film I watch. Uh, maybe we have Halloween coming up, so maybe I'll try it for that one.
2: It's time for Movie Quiz.
0: Uh, starting in round one, each one of these questions will be worth one point. The categories are Judgment Day, Removing the Head or Destroying the Brain, and Hey, Let's Go to the Winchester. Pat, as the guest, we will let you choose the first category.
3: I would like to choose, hey, let's go to the Winchester.
2: It's time for question one.
0: I'm sure Sean and company would agree that making your way in the world today takes everything you've got, and taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot, that there's always somewhere they'd like to get away where everyone knows their name, the Winchester pub. How many times did this happen during the movie? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Okay. Pat, how many times did they go to the Winchester?
3: I think that they went three times.
2: I think they only went to the Winchester once.
1: They were in the Winchester three times in the film. The points will go to Tom and Pat.
0: They did go three times. In the beginning, they were on a date uh, with Liz, and it turned out all their friends were there as well, as we learn, The second time after Liz breaks up with Sean, Sean and Ed are at the Winchester. And then the group goes to to the Winchester to hunker down during the zombie apocalypse, the best place to go to protect yourself from the zombies. The reason I brought this question up is I, I thought it was interesting how no matter what happened, just like in a game of tag, like that was home base, you know? So I thought it was, what did you think of how they portrayed the, the Winchester
3: as this one safety net for everybody? I think it, it represents similar to what Tom was talking about before with, with the, with the, with the growing up aspect. And I think the analogy of, of the tag is a great one where, um, what i what I loved about it is in all of their rationalizing about their plans and everything that's going on, the the only the only answer came down to be the Winchester. and and i I, I think, you know when we think about that from the standpoint of of growing up, that that is very, very much so uh, an aspect of not being able to see beyond uh what's what's right in your own back backyard that's some similar to the wizard of oz aspect of it so so the the idea that i thought that was
1: such a wonderful part of the movie and it also once they get back to the winchester it burns down and so uh, after he's sort of saved the day or actually at least saved his his girlfriend's life and managed to survive the This thing, which has become kind of a problem in their relationship, they keep going back to the Winchester. He doesn't explore new opportunities. In his final go at the Winchester, the thing burns down. And the movie ends not with them back at the Winchester celebrating. It ends with the the main couple living together.
0: Yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting to to see how this was their safe base, home base, no matter what happened. And the the thing that always jumped out at me during this movie, especially on multiple rewatches, is the Winchester is probably like the worst place to go. Even the fact that there is the the largest amount of zombies we've seen the whole movie right in front of the Winchester, that does not deter them from still trying to figure out how they can get into Winchester. Not to mention... It's a pub. It has giant windows that could easily be broken through the swarm, which eventually happens. It is the least, you know, secure place that they've been in. In fact, I think Liz's apartment was probably the best because it seemed like it was above ground. Uh, There was a, a gate you had to get buzzed in. The only way he got up was through climbing. So like, they could not even see that that was not the best. I think they should have just stayed there. What do you guys think? What would have been the ideal location uh, for
1: them to hunker down? Yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the Winchester seems to be a really bad plan. And I when the, I thought this when I first saw the movie, which was um, why are we supposed to be on Sean's side for uh, getting them to leave the the apartment? Uh, the justification we get from the girl who wears the beanie the whole time, who is in Wonder Woman—I I can't remember the character's name—which was, we couldn't think of something to do, so we all went with you. <laughs> she says that at one point. But it does, yeah, it does seem to be kind of a bad idea. But it is, a, it is a prompt to watch Sean become kind of a, become a leader, and so he needs to. Kind of rally resources he needs to be able to command people he needs to be able to kind of uh, you know delegate power he needs to be able to take responsibility and the winchester is um is something he has to kind of get over and so i think the kind of the crappiness of the winchester as a location um you know both kind of represents the you know the the crappiness of his goals in life he doesn't really Go anywhere, but it also becomes um, it becomes like the the prompt for him to grow and develop and really become a man. But I think it makes sense that the Winchester kind of sucks as a as a place to hide from zombies. Um, it, you know, it's just it's a place we have to we we should by this point be leaving behind.
2: And I think the movie admits that it's not a good place to go I, through um, the character you were talking about before, Tom. I think her name's Diane. And certainly Diane's boyfriend, um David, is often criticizing why are we here i I think when they were writing the movie, they thought, "Hey, wouldn't it be fun if we had a zombie apocalypse and they had to defend themselves in the, the local bar?" and I think that's why they went to the bar so we could have the scenes being defended from the the bar.
0: yeah, I think we're all in on the joke, but we still are like, this is crazy <laughs> so at least at least I wasn't alone on that assessment uh, okay, we're gonna uh turn it over to KJ to pick the next category. The remaining categories are Judgment Day and Removing the Head or Destroying the Brain.
2: Let's do Removing the Head or Destroying the Brain. It's time for Question 2.
0: There are a variety of items from records to pizza boxes to laundry baskets used as makeshift weapons to assault the undead. Some of these, of course, being more effective than others. What are the specific ones that were used to carry out fatal blows to zombies throughout this film? What we're gonna do is we're gonna keep going, everyone's gonna mention one, and the last person will get the point. And it has to be a fatal blow. I am going to start with KJ. Uh,
2: To strike a fatal blow, to strike a fatal blow, we have the rugby paddle.
0: Uh, It is a cricket bat, but that is good, yes. I knew where you were going with that.
1: (laughs) What is a rugby? bat?
0: (laughs) It's a cricket bat. (laughs) (laughs) So that is that I know exactly what you were aiming for there. So cricket bat will get you the point, Uh, not the point, excuse me. Cricket bat is one of them. Tom, would you name another one? Bullets. Yes, the Winchester rifle or bullets, yes, is one that they use to take down some zombies. Pat?
3: Hmm, goes to the two that I had in mind. Uh, let's see. I'm going to say a, a bar, a, like a, 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 an iron bar. Unfortunately,
0: an iron bar was used to pin a zombie to a tree. But it was not a death blow. They were actually used that as inspiration of how to act like zombies. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, no, that was not. But I'm gonna, KJ, you're gonna continue this one.
2: So I have two more, and I'm trying to pick which one Tom's least likely to to guess here. <laughs> um, I'll go with the more interesting one. Did they use a glass ashtray at one point? Did they slam somebody on the head? That
0: is the first kill is a glass ashtray. That's when uh, the pizza box and other things throughout the room wouldn't take down the, uh, the zombie. Uh, but the glass ashtray did the trick. A car. A car hit a lot of zombies, but there were no confirmed death blows from that because they were got hit and spun off. Even the guy who they ran over the first time, he looked up at them. So he was all mangled. So it was not there. But KJ, you said you had another one. So what do you have for us?
2: I do to put the nail in the coffin, uh, the shovel, right? It the was shovel. The, not the rugby paddle, but the uh, the cricket bat and the shovel were the two.
0: Yes, those were the the uh, the main ones that the uh, that Ed and Sean carried throughout the film. Uh, there were actually two other. Weapons that I, I, I noticed when we were making the, uh, when, when I was re-watching this movie.: Was it a toaster?: Not a toaster, but there was something that was an electronic device. They used the jukebox to, uh, to kill the zombie who was the owner of the Winchester. After beating him with a bunch of pool cues, now, that wasn't what actually did it, but it was the, ju- the head to the jukebox uh, took him down. And the other one, this one is not necessarily confirmed, but at the end where they meet up with their other female friend, I do not remember her name. And I, 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 we were given it. When she came back with the, mili- the military, she has a golf club. And I believe there were two like twin zombies that she cracks in the head with the golf club. Now, the reason I brought this one up was I, I did it thoroughly enjoy how they would just grab anything at their disposal to throw at these zombies in, hope, in attempts to take them down. Were there any specific ones that uh, jumped out at you guys that may not have been fatal blows that
3: were of interest? My, my absolute favorite of them all is the records. The fact that the records really didn't hit any, but how, how they just <laughs> flew and uh cracked on the wall and the idea of of the decision making associated with the records too i just thought was absolutely fantastic that was the one that totally
1: jumped out at me too but any any others that whole sequence is great because it's it's before the records they have a a a laundry ban of things and they can't hit them at all (laughs) they're just chucking things and they're missing (laughs) by you know by a mile and this point they've heard on the news report that you have to hit them in the head or, or decapitate the head or damage the brain. And they're, you know, they're, they're throwing like plastic laundry baskets, which aren't even close to hitting them. It's a really funny sequence.
0: Okay. Well, we have one more category in round one, and that is Judgment Day. It's time
2: for question three.
0: The lead character, Sean, remains oblivious to the zombie apocalypse unfolding right around him for quite some time. At what timestamp in this one hour and 39 minute film, does the true nature of this pandemic become apparent to Sean? This is not price or right as rights rules in either direction. The closest guest to the time minutes and seconds will win this point.
1: Locked Locked in. Locked in.
0: Locked in. Okay. Uh, Tom, what what did you ha- have?
1: Thirty-two thirty.
0: I had eighteen thirty. I'll go twenty-five,
1: thirty.
0: Okay, <laughs> and the points go to Tom. The timestamp that I quoted, and it could be off by a few seconds, is thirty minutes twenty-seven seconds. This is the specific moment where. The girl got skewered by the base to um, an umbrella, like a garden umbrella. And she actually comes up off of it and pulls her body off. So I counted exactly where she came off the top of the the metal skewer as the point where they realize for sure something is going on. There's hints. But the reason I brought this one up, and I I had a, a similar question in one of our other episodes, Pat, with these timestamps. I thought it was quite interesting that it was almost a, a third the way through before we really got confirmation. And I also thought it was interesting how they hinted to it along the way. So I, I thought that might be something worth talking about, how he could not see what was obvious in front of him to anyone who was looking.
1: Which plays on the themes of the movie, the, the most memorable depiction of Sean's ignorance of the world around him is him walking to the store and the way Edgar Wright the the director sets this up is that he earlier in the film shows Sean walking to the store in an an extended take of Sean walking to the store and it's pretty normal he gets um, he gets something to drink from the store at first it's coke then it becomes diet coke then he walks back we do the exact same camera work again but this time the The world has changed, and there's clearly a zombie apocalypse going on. And Sean is completely um, ignorant of it. Edgar Wright does this a lot. He does he sets up the the same camera angles and same sequence of cuts that occur in the first half hour and then then are repeated after the first half hour, but with a slight change. And I think it seems to highlight the fact that sean is is completely ignorant of the wider world around him. He's far too local at the beginning of this movie to be a successful person. There was a part of that sequence that
0: I really enjoyed when he went in to, again, get the Coke and switch to the Diet Coke. There's clearly bloody handprints on the the fridge. And then as he's walking away, he does this really dramatic slip, meaning like we know he's slipping on blood or something. And he doesn't even... Stop at all. He doesn't take a beat. He just keeps going through his routine. He's even short on the amount of money for the guy who's clearly a zombie in the background. But I love that, like, little that that dramatic slip (laughs) on the blood.
3: And that's actually one of the things. So the slip there. But the other thing that I absolutely love is the trip on the curb, the consistent trip on the curb in the same spot, regardless of what's going on. And that that gets to I think Tom what what you were saying about. The fact that he has he's carved out a path for himself that he does not deviate from. And in that path, there's this curve that he hits regardless of what's going on. So, so the idea that his his pace is maintained, everything that goes on, and I think he trips two or three times, but I think it actually is three three times, but I, I'd have to look that up again. But I noticed that uh, the, the last time I watched it saying, you know, it's ingenious to throw in that trip that no matter what the situation is, he has his his own way of doing things that is consistent.
1: Yeah, I do think that's well said, that there's this path he's trod that he's not going off. You know? And it requires the world to end to get him to change, right? <laughs> this is, you know, you want to become a better man, the world has to end, which is kind of the theme of, of all of these movies. You know, it's it's the world the world ends for this kind of child man in order to become an adult, right? Which is what kind of adulthood is. It's the world ending for us, you know, in a subjective way. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great point. The
2: other thing I liked about that sequence is he meets a bunch of people and they're very distinct so you recognize them. So when they come back as zombies, they're not just faceless zombies. They're people you feel like you have a connection with at a small level, but I, I thought that also helped the zombie side of the movie. This is a bit of a tangent, but you just said
0: uh, a bunch of people that kind of we can relate to. There's one scene (laughs) where they're coming across another group who are trying to find refuge in the zombie apocalypse. And they have the same character set uh, as their group as they walk by, even to the fact of like Ed and they had some kind of like dumpy brother or cousin (laughs) or something like that. Again, it's either your humor or not, but I, I thought like little things like that were quite endearing. It was just fun.
1: <laughs> They're also all big British stars, the people yeah. in that other line. Yeah. So it's there. there's a lot of like, there's only like 40 actors in England. <laughs> and so everybody has to keep reusing them. This, this is what happened with Harry Potter where every single actor in England had to be hired, but Martin Friedman. Um, and and so that's there's kind of a there's jokes going on there that I'm kind of missing because I don't know all those actors very right. well. I knew one of them. Uh, I mean, Hitchhiker's
0: Guide to the Galaxy, uh, The Hobbit. Uh, I forget he's in a lot of things. Martin Freeman. Yes, yes, he's in a lot. He was the the boyfriend of the. Of the lead girl, you know,
1: and the the lead woman in that group. Yeah, he's the original um, main guy from the office. Yes, yes. uh, And the woman with the beanie is the original female lead from the office.
0: Oh, I didn't recognize her, but that's interesting to know that those were all people that I guess uh, people in England would have recognized. Okay, well that concludes round one. We'll be right back after this short commercial break for round two.
2: Were you born in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or 2000s? Do you remember your childhood? Because we do. Do you want a show featuring an obscure character from your favorite childhood show? Are you wondering where they are now? We have that. Do you remember the villain from your favorite childhood show? Do you want to know what happened to them? We have that. Do you want a new show in the style of your old favorite shows? We have that too. Nostalgia Plus, the only streaming service you need to have your childhood formulated, tailored, and packaged into a nostalgic, engaging, and compelling media bite. Subscribe today at NostalgiaPlus.com. This is a fake ad. NostalgiaPlus.com does not exist. Please enter the website at your own risk.
0: And we're back. Tom is leading the pack with two points, and KJ and Pat are still tied with one in round two. Each question is worth two points, so it's anyone's game. The categories for round two include rich, interesting characters, surviving, and stand by for further
3: information. Which would you like, Pat? Could we go with stand by for further information?
2: It's time for
0: question four. While the audience spends most of the movie digesting cheeky dialogue and comical undead defense tactics, there are a few serious moments sprinkled in the movie. Which do you think best exemplifies these occurrences? This is a subjective question, so I will be the judge. I will say that there are two potentials. One will be awarded two points, and the other would be awarded one point.
1: Locked in. Locked
0: in. Locked in, Pat. I'm going to let you start off, and feel free to
3: explain a little if you want to. So I think the the first one is the dialogue between Sean and Philip in the car, where Philip explains to Sean his tactics as a, as a stepfather father in terms of of him in terms of why he was so uh, why he was so hard on on him and uh, why their relationship what what he what he sought to actually do for their relationship and how he he really wanted to be the model for sean knowing that sean had a lot of pain associated with the death of his father and the absence of his father in his life that i thought was a very serious point where that was one where i i thought was brilliantly done so just with with that though i i think that that exemplifies very much so the theme that tom brought up before too about really the 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 death of of what is or the 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 end of what is so that what shall be can become you know and and the the idea that 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 moment signifies the end of being a boy and the start of now being a man who who now is is guided knowing that philip really did try to help him and, and, and loved him too.
0: It only took him till age 29 to figure that out, right? <laughs> and the death of <laughs> <Yeah>. Philip. <laughs> okay, uh, KJ, what do you think is the most serious moment?
2: I think one of the most serious moments and also exemplifies the film was when um, Sean and Ed are at the bar and Ed's kind of making jokes about everybody else at the bar. The other people that are stuck there, the true zombies of this movie that Ed and Sean are destined to become if they don't uh, overcome the literal zombies that attack them later. So I'd say that scene where they're kind of going through everybody at the bar. Okay,
0: I know which one you're talking about. Okay, uh, Tom, what do you think? Nice,
1: nice answer, KJ. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to. I'm, I'm not going to change my answer. Obviously, I'm a responsible. <laughs> honest person locked in. Locked in. <laughs> but um i would say and this is actually more speaking to, to pat's answer is the death of sean's mother when sean has to his, his mother becomes a zombie and he has to shoot her and i think just as you said pat with the um with, with sean having to kind of realize who his parents or step-parents are and move beyond that that sort of happens in that scene where he has to he has to shoot his mother. She's become a zombie and he has to take the responsibility of putting her down. She's going to become a danger to him if he can't you know, really say goodbye to her and say goodbye to her in a, in a brutal way. And so by saying goodbye to his, his last remaining parent, he's then able to create more security for the group and he's able to kind of reveal himself as a a man who can be responsible for something in the world, and so it has this kind of um, you know, kind of like Freudian touch, sort of maybe maybe Freud light, <laughs> I guess, diet Freud. Um, but that's why I think that scene is is the most touching, and it is honestly pretty touching, right? It is um, it's it's sweet in the way Simon Pegg plays it. Okay, these were
0: all great answers. And I will say, I did not think of all of these, uh, but I will say that everyone is going to get at least one point because these were all great answers. Uh, I will be awarding two points to Pat because I think that is a very touching moment. And I will be honest, and that wasn't originally the one that I thought, but of the ones that you shared, I, I think that was the most impactful. There was another scene that I thought was a a serious moment in the sense that Sean and Liz had to be choose between getting torn up by zombies or killing each other, taking each other's life. There was two, two shells left uh, for the rifle. Ed said he doesn't mind being eaten and they had to sit there and contemplate. Is it worse to deal with what's coming or who's going to shoot each other? And and it actually was – I know there was a little bit of a, a comical effect, there, but I think they actually took a moment to be like, no, this is a serious thing. Like, Who's going to shoot who first, and can you do this? <laughs> and then there's a scene where, uh, going back to talking about all the people who, who passed away or got killed, Sean literally was saying, he's like, listen, I, I, I killed my I, – I don't know if I can kill my girlfriend too. I killed my flatmate. I killed my mother. I don't know if I have it in it me to kill my girlfriend as well. And then, of course, she says, oh, you're assuming we're back together, <laughs> which I think they did mend uh, that relationship along this journey. So I just thought uh, it was worth showing that even though this is a, a, a very... Strict comedy within the zombie apocalypse that they did actually have moments that were a, a little bit more serious. Do you think that they did a nice balance between the two throughout the story, or was it not? You know, was it kind of heavy-handed?
3: I think that they did, and and I think with that very much so when you look through the lens of of the movie depicting the theme that 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 we've been talking through. Now, in, in in reflecting on it, I, I I think that there was the combination of of comedy and horror which made it really well. But though there were truly endearing moments in there too, that I think that's where I I connected with the characters, and and knowing the relationship between uh, Philip and and Sean with you know did you bring your mother flowers? Did, did you got to you got to remember your mother's fla- Flowers all these different things, and then. Um, He's not my father. (laughs) He's not my father. Yeah. Even, even till last. (laughs) Your father's dying. He's not my father. (laughs) So, so, uh, but, but, but I think that there is an existential element associated with, with, with that, that, that is, you know, where, where we are questioned to, to really look at, at, at the characters through through the the decisions that they make in those serious moments too. So I do think it's blended in really well.
1: And in that scene, he does once Philip dies and becomes a zombie, when he says he's not my father, and she says, "Oh, Sean," and he goes, "He was my father, but that man in the car isn't anymore. He's not your husband anymore." Um, that that's another kind of one of these moments of of reconciliation between the past. He can't. Uh, he can't kind of throw blame or anger on people because he just, you know, you're you're an adult now. You you don't have that luxury. Um, You're dealing with an adult situation. But it also it, it's nice because he's able to kind of um, reconcile with his mother, uh, who's for most of the movie a kind of a complete adult, actually. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. But I I do think that that works uh, very nicely. Simon Pegg great in this. I mean, he is, he's very, very vulnerable um, throughout the movie. And you kind of need that, right? Because you need this guy, you need to be able to to root for this man child, even as he's sometimes making pretty bad decisions.
0: There was another scene that I definitely would have awarded partial credit if if somebody brought this up. And it comes right off of the same one where I was talking about when Sean and Liz had to choose life or death. Ed is still there, he's bitten and he's in bad shape. They finally realize that they can escape the cellar. And there's a moment there where there's what could be, and we find out later, is not the final goodbye between best friends, but it's a moment where he has to move on from this friend who has been a critical part of his life and maybe a hindrance at some point, but also The Rock, in his life to kind of keep him sane through the monotony of, of normal lifestyle, they have to part ways. And of course we find at the end sequence that for comedic effect, Ed is in his uh, shed in the backyard and they play video games when he's in zombie form. But for our understanding at that moment, that seemed like the final goodbye uh, after he had been bitten.
1: Ed is basically a zombie throughout the movie so him becoming a zombie literally at the end of the movie isn't that big a change for ed his life doesn't change very much at all um he's sort of always been chained to a couch playing video games um you know so there's no big difference and i think this goes back to, to kj's point about how the people in the bar in the winchester the winchester has always been a gathering place of zombies it's just you know where the zombies go or where they're made um, and Ed is is perfectly fine being a zombie and you know you can have zombies in your life right you could go play video games with friends or do a podcast with them um (laughs) but it you know you you still need to not have only that right that can't be your whole life conveniently one of the categories
0: is rich interesting characters where we may dive into that a little bit more deeper uh there are two categories left, including the one I just mentioned. The other is surviving. And I'm going to turn it over to Tom to choose the category.
1: Let's do surviving. It's time for question
0: five. Throughout the film, there are a lot of direct parallels between the monotony of life, particularly Sean's, and that of The Walking Dead. So much in that Sean had trouble distinguishing between the undead and the automatons in society going through their daily routines. Which of these parallels do you believe to be the most effective in showcasing this theme? We did touch upon this a little earlier, uh, but everything is still fair game. And in this question, uh, I will also be choosing who wins. It's subjective.
3: Locked in.
1: Locked in. I'm going to say locked in. I'm going to
0: let Tom start off after that.
1: Yeah, I don't have a great answer for this. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to say kind of walking to work or walking to the bus to get to work. The the kind of, um, you know, everybody sort of looks like a zombie as they're going off to their jobs.
3: So I agree with, with Tom there that there's a couple of scenes especially in the beginning where the people are, are are walking down the road and they're walking in step bobbing their their their, their heads um but that's not my answer there. my my answer is when they first encounter the the girl in the backyard and um, and she is they're, they're trying to get her attention and she's not turning around and she finally turns around and here it is that they encounter their first zombie and their response is, oh, my God, she's so drunk. You know, <laughs> so, so and the idea of of not being able to distinguish between what the reality of the situation is and what they t- typically encounter, I thought sig signifies that the best.
2: Yeah, Pat, I, I was thinking that originally first, that girl that they meet in the, in the backyard in the garden. Um, and then I was thinking maybe it was when they were playing video games in that epilogue there at the end is... Sean even realized that Ed's a zombie apart from almost being bitten or whatever. But I think my answer is the movie will often show Sean just waking up. And at first you're thinking, oh, am I watching a zombie by the way he walks, by the way he yawns? So I would say himself, not realizing that he may be not a literal zombie, but on the path to zombiehood. Okay.
0: So Tom had. People going through their routines in a zombie-like fashion in the beginning. Pat had the drunk girl. And KJ had Sean himself, the way his mannerisms are, waking up, etc. The full points will go to KJ, but I also like everyone else's answers. So we're going to get one point to uh, Tom and Pat. And I, I really think that was a cool way that they did it, even from the beginning, from the get go of what Tom was saying, how everyone is already going through their life in this monotonous fashion, but the way they paralleled it, sometimes direct scenes as we talked about in length earlier in this episode with the sequence to the convenience store, those elements really hit home for me. And I didn't know if you all thought that was effective Or any thoughts regarding how they paralleled zombieism to normal life.
3: One thing that I absolutely love about the movie, and I and I didn't get it until I watched it recently again, because I hadn't picked picked up on it at all, are the are the recurrent themes that exist. But the one where he puts the pen in his pocket, and the ink drips out, and the guy says, "You have red on your shirt," and you say, "Oh my goodness, he's got red on the shirt." But then that that continues to where and then his mom says you have red on your shirt and somebody else says you have red on your shirt so the idea that that is some, something that it's it's part of the it's part of the normal occurrence associated with life and that phrase doesn't change amidst all of these changing things that are going on which which is I thought was such an interesting part about that with the with having red on your shirt, what that could potentially mean.
0: They do that a lot throughout this movie actually with recurrences not just on scenes, but dialogue. There's a lot of recurrence. The more you pay attention to it, uh, even little like nicknames of the pickle. (laughs) There's there's all these different things that are just, even uh, the answering machine from when Liz leaves messages, the way she talks, like there's a lot of these recurrences in there. Now I know that's a little bit of a tangent, so we'll get back to, you know, zombieism. but it is interesting when you watch it more, Pat, how these things do jump out at you. I don't know if we're gonna get KJ to do a rewatch, but I'm sure he would see them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, I think the, we mentioned this before, the kind of the, the recurrences and the, for Sean, the zombie apocalypse kind of reveals the zombie nature of, of the modern world, right? You know, it's the, the modern world is zombifying, and it's very easy to become a zombie in the modern world. And the fact that we're shown the zombies sometimes in mirroring scenes, um, I, I think hints on that. For example, when Sean is in the bathroom, there's a series of quick cuts showing Sean getting ready for his day. And in the first scene, he closes the mirror over, his, uh, over the sink and he sees his roommate behind him who then chastises him for, um, for Ed living in the house and, and not contributing to the household. And then later we get the same edited sequence again. And when Sean hits the mirror, he sees the, the roommate, the kind of jerk roommate in the bathtub and, or the, in, the, uh, in the shower rather. And he's become a zombie and the the kind of parallels between the you know modern living and and the zombies are are highlighted there and the shock and the development for sean comes when he realizes that zombies are everywhere you
2: know one of the things i really liked about this movie was the editing right from the beginning where it looks like they're on a date and it's only the two of them and they're talking about their friends but as soon as they bring up their friends the camera cuts and their friend is sitting right there half paying attention or or in on the conversation. Um, but the editing was was great um, with these beats, like you're saying, Tom, the, the getting ready to go or um, even the zombie fights. You know,
1: I always felt like I knew exactly what was going on um, and and I thought it was really well done. Yeah, they do a lot of kind of like sight gags like that with the editing, right? where the camera tilts and you see what's really going on.
0: I'm standing right here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I,
2: I agree mm-hmm. with that, KJ. Oh, and even the uh, the sync up to the music was, was kind of fun in this. I think they may have overdone that in Baby Driver, but in this one how the the, the soundtrack felt like it was in the movie as opposed to on top of the movie.
1: I, music is an important thing. This might be a tangent but, um, you know, m- music is is an important thing in, in coming-of-age movies especially. Especially if it's like from the perspective of somebody looking back on the past. It's typically um, it, it's typically a way of Establishing an error, you can think of this with Almost Famous, which is you know a movie about a basically about the director coming of age, you know working for Rolling Stone, and following Led Zeppelin around, even though it wasn't Led Zeppelin it was called something else, but um, that that was really what was going on. And, and the music sort of establishes the the error that was passed and the error in which this person became an adult or grew up right in a significant way, and. And in this film, music is sort of music works in that way also. Um, but we're also directing a lot of attention to the device of how music works in movies, um, and I think that kind of pulls on the string of this should have happened already. You need to throw these albums out. The sequence where we listen to music and you grow up should have happened already. You need to throw away Batman Forever, the soundtrack. It's not helping anymore.
0: And talking about sounds, even though this was a comedy, they, they still did intertwine uh, horror tropes into this. So for example, there's some scenes where you you hear the heartbeat. So he's walking in and you, you, you almost feel the heartbeat going on. They don't draw any other attention to it, but you know it's there. I also thought that was really cool how they... Uh, that into the different elements of the movie
1: yeah and another another horror cut like a sam Raimi cut is in the end when the the military trucks come to the winchester and you have the tilted camera that is sam Raimi up the wazoo that is such a you know (laughs) like that immediately recognized it Um,
3: well i i think with with that too part of the horror when when david gets dragged out of the window and torn apart that was for me where you're reminded that this is actually a horror movie that the the pain and the anguish that you see on his face as he's getting torn torn apart and how he's disemboweled right in front front of you, wow, this was uh, you know this no longer for 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 that split moment there just the same same thing like wow this is this is definitely horror this isn't um, just a comedy and and a and a spoof so I thought that was great.
0: And then the comedy jumps right back in when his legs pop off. And then the girlfriend runs out with the leg to get him, when she clearly had seen this guy get disemboweled. So the remaining category is rich, interesting characters. And interestingly enough, we are currently all tied at four points. So this one will determine today's champion. It's time for question six. In an attempt to inspire the shattered spirit of Sean post-breakup with Liz, best friend Ed shares a bit of wisdom about the rich, interesting characters at the Winchester Pub. We're also introduced to a variety of supporting characters throughout this film. Aside from the three main characters mentioned, who do you think is the most impactful supporting person in this story? Now, to make this question a little extra spicy, Each of you will provide an answer and you will then each say which one you think is the best answer, not including your own. So the person who has the most points between the contestants will win this question and possibly the whole episode. Locked in on that one.
2: Locked in.
1: Locked in.
0: Okay. We're going to let KJ start this one off. So who do you think?
2: I think it's um, Sean's stepdad. As far as we can tell, he seems like a good guy, maybe did everything right. I can understand why Sean's upset about everything, but he was always encouraging. Even when he shows up at the store, it's not to mock or berate Sean. It's to say, Hey, it would be really good if you got the flowers for your mom. So he's, Trying to do a good thing for Sean's mom and trying to do a good thing for Sean, and again, his attitude towards all that was good. I, 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 I think, I think Sean's stepdad is is the most interesting um, non-main character.
3: I think the I think the bar owner, um, I can't remember his name, Ben or or someone uh, who owned the bar, just because of the conversations. That led to him being connected to the mafia, versus uh, versus you know why he had the the rifle above the bar and the whole thing. Well, this place is called the Winchester, and you know Ed's response is exactly you know and 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 as opposed to you know as it supports his being a member of the mafia, and uh, and then eventually the rifle becomes such a, a key component to future scenes then once they once they barricade down at the winchester as well so the mystery is never revealed as to what the connections were associated with the bar owners uh history
1: i'm gonna go with also with kj's answer with philip and I, i part of it's bill nye is great he's even when we first meet him and he turns around the way he turns around is is made me laugh. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a great actor and a great comic actor. Um, but I think also he's the character who previews what we're going to experience with Sean. When he's in the car with Sean and he's having this kind of tender moment with him when he says, I, I just wanted to be someone you could look up to because I saw how much potential you have. Then he's the first person to see Sean's potential, which we see throughout the film. Sean reveals himself to be a a capable leader and capable person, albeit with with some difficulties. And I think that's why he's interesting because he's at first seems kind of like a villain and later he ends up being a person who can kind of preview what we're going to experience with Sean.
0: Okay, well, before we go through this whole sequence of voting, I'm pretty sure I know the answer. If KJ and Tom both have the same person, I believe that means when we do this whole rigmarole that there will be a tie between KJ and Tom, but let's, let's give it a go. KJ, who gets your vote of between Pat and Tom?
2: So the obvious answer would be Tom, but what, what I liked about Pat's answer was when he said, Pat, we never got that mystery resolved. And that that's much more interesting um, than, than what was presented on screen. So I'm I'm going to go with Pat. Okay. Definitely uh, makes it interesting here.
3: Pat, <laughs> well, I think, yeah. you don't have a choice. No, really. But I, and, and, and just, I'm going to speak anyway. I think it's, I, I, yeah. I think both of you eloquently captured Philip and, and um, especially with the idea of, of the, the, the shift of being to becoming for Sean and, and how integral Philip was in the process, both in the immediate, um sense of the movie and then also with what was explained to us in terms of where he really was meant to go and 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 for for everybody in the movie trying to pull Sean off of his path uh, that he continually trips on on the curb uh, I think Philip had had the biggest role there e- even in the sense that we originally are s- see him as a nuisance in Sean's life uh, and as potentially an, an inferior Character due to his relationship with Sean, but then we definitely see him come in as a hero. So I definitely vote for Philip in that case, and I would support both KJ and Tom. <laughs>
0: I don't know, does that mean we go half point in each direction?
3: I, I, I don't, this,
0: this was not foreseen. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. You each get a half point because we got to split it.
1: That's historical. <laughs> We've never had fractions here on talking picture trivia.
0: Now, Tom, well, this is the sub points. This isn't the full points. <laughs> but um, Tom, would you like to vote for KJ Phillip or
1: Ye- Pat Bar Owner? Yeah, I get like what helps me more? <laughs> let's let's just be Machiavellian <laughs> in, in this instance. I think if I vote for KJ, right, that that helps me more. I think so, yeah. So I- I'm going to vote for KJ. Nothing against Pat. I'm just, I'm trying to win here. Nothing, uh, yep, no, nuts. No. Stab you right in the back, friend. I was going to say, what I think is, what's interesting about, about Pat's answer, the idea of the, the unresolved mystery of the bartender who may be a Native American, maybe a, a North London mafia boss. We're, <laughs> we're not really sure. Uh, it, it seems to be that they romanticize, and they, they literally do this at one point. Ed romanticizes the characters in the bar in order to make you know their their kind of lives more interesting. He kind of tries to de-zombify everyone around him in order to justify his lifestyle. Um, and I you know I think the the unresolved mystery ends up being kind of like getting a biography to who the zombies are. It kind of doesn't matter right in the end. What what's important is the fact that everybody's kind of stuck on a dead end path and who they were before is, is not really helping.
0: So based on my crazy point system here, you all tied. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're going to have to go. Everyone is going to get the points for that question, which will make the full episode still be a tie with everyone at six points. So we have to go to the bonus question to decide who will win this whole entire episode for Shaun of the Dead.
2: It's time for a bonus question.
0: During an altercation between the roommates, Sean is recollecting an event in which all three of them were having a great time playing Tekken 2 all night long. This is a conversation between Sean and Pete. How many years ago did that all night Tekken 2 session take place? The closest to the number of years will win the bonus question. Locked in. Locked in. Okay, Tom. You seem pretty confident. Five years.
3: Five years. (laughs) Five years. No! (laughs) The answer is five years. So we
0: have to go into second bonus question.
1: This is unprecedented. (laughs) New ground. The frontier of talking pictures trivia. Double bonus. It's time for a
0: bonus question. The group finally makes it to the Winchester where they're hunkering down. They notice that the Winchester rifle is still there and find out that it is a functional weapon. They then find a box of bullets, which are actually corrected to be referred to as shells. How many shells do they have to? Hold off the zombies. Closest number will win. Locked in.
1: Locked in.
2: Locked in.
0: Confidence goes first. KJ.
2: 26
1: shells in the box.
0: 29.
1: I had 27.
0: Pat is going to win the Sean of the Dead episode. It is exactly 29 shells. All right. And what's, what's very interesting about that sequence, too, I like how they literally state Nobody is really proficient with firearms, okay, which actually makes sense for England. They have stricter rules than even us in the US. And they proceed to show that even after Sean is deemed the one to take the helm and actually shoot the guns, that he has a horrible aim. And it takes very long before he even hits anybody. So I just thought that was interesting. Uh, but yes, as Tom mentioned, unprecedented. Uh, again, pat congratulations for winning this episode we're going to take a quick break before we can rant about anything else that didn't come up during these questions we'll be right back
1: love your screaming lapel pin do you look confident competent and sexy with a shining screaming highlight to your wardrobe but would you like a little variety after all You can't expect to pair the same scream with a dark blue pinstripe suit that you would with a casual polo. That's why we at Screaming Lapel Pins offer a wide range of screams to match your outfit, your mood, your lifestyle. Take a look at a few examples of what we have to offer. For a night of beer with the boys, there's the tavern howl. For that lady you just need to dazzle, the panther purr. For a family get together where you want to connect with distant cousins, there's the contemplative land possum. And of course, for that special someone in your life to whom you just want to say thank you, there's my favorite, the reverberating oxen be a style icon pick up a screaming lapel pin today screaming lapel pin
2: uh... and we're back It's time for movie rent
3: so I think one thing that that was just brought up with with the rifle again and, and I thought it was a really funny play on the the situations that sean finds himself in where he is shooting at the zombies and uh and ed is behind him saying reload reload and during the video game play in the beginning ed is behind him saying reload reload so it it was such an interesting thing again of of saying here is here's a similar situation and the behavior is the same but the circumstances are entirely different so so you have you know the situation of shooting things uh, with those two playing together, but the, but the but the circumstances in which they're shooting has changed, but their relationship hasn't, which is just such a funny funny thing.
0: I totally missed that, but that's great. I, I didn't catch that. Uh, I did catch things with at the end sequence when they're back to playing video games in the shed, whereas they started playing video games uh, earlier in the film. But I, I, I totally missed it. So they did actually connect that even more than I realized.
2: The other thing I liked about that, Pat, was the editing there too. It went to kind of a first person uh, view where you saw it from behind the barrel of the gun and it was moving, again, similar to a video game or even the video game they were playing earlier. Great call. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I found the incompetence of the shooting to be really funny. <laughs> it's just they never had they never anything. And When the bullets set on fire, they're far more effective randomly shooting than they are attempting to direct their shooting. Um, the, the the varying level of competency was really funny uh just them um you know having to either throw things at these creatures or shoot these creatures they, they just can't target anything
2: the one thing i thought this movie was missing that i found in a lot of other zombie movies is tension i never felt a high tension situation. Even as a joke, they could have made some kind of a high tension leading up to nothing. But in a lot of zombie movies, especially Night of the Living Dead, one of the things that makes that movie work is the whole time you're like, well, how how are they going to get out of this? What are they going to do? What would I do? What What's going to happen? In Shaun of the Dead, that, that never really occurred. There was no point where I thought, oh man, they're not going to be able to get out of this, or how are they going to get out of this? That wasn't the point of the movie, but I was surprised they didn't play any tension into the movie at all for a zombie movie.
0: You, you are right there. And it, there's different zombie rule sets, if you will. And just like Pat was alluding to before about how Dawn of the Dead had fast zombies, this one had extremely slow, extremely stupid zombies. So there were many occurrences where in reality, even if a zombie was walking at a very slow pace, during the sequence or the scene, the zombie would have eventually caught them. But it's almost like the zombies were just standing still. They could play out their sequence and then the zombie would still be there, which I think was the humor. But I think that was a stylistic choice that it's not that it was missing. They didn't want it there because of how they were interacting. But you're right. It is devoid of that tension. The, even the scene where he's like, we need to make a distraction because Ed decided to pick up his cell phone and talk to one of his buddies <laughs> and the other guy threw um, some, the garbage can through the window. Sean literally jumps into the mob of zombies and says, follow me, follow me, follow me, which in any other zombie movie, he would have been torn to shreds. So you're absolutely right. I, I do think that was a, a stylistic choice, but you're, it's not there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think the one scene of tension I had was when they're behind the bar and they set it on fire, and you see that you know the zombies start to come in. But I I agree there isn't, um, yeah there isn't a lot of kind of dramatic build up. They are, and this might be a, a a flaw in the movie. They are sort of in love with their their humor style. The sort of zombies are like the like modern man. You know, <laughs> they're they're so kind of caught up in that that it it takes more energy from the film than maybe is, is necessary.
0: The only thing that they did incorporate that was, again, a horror trope is they did insert
1: jump scares. Yeah, I don't remember any jump scares.
0: There were a bunch. They just weren't scary. There's scenes in which they do a really fast jump into a clip. And, and, and it's, they're, not a fa- they're not scary, but they're supposed
3: to be like a jump start. And there's actually like a dozen of them. The only, the only thing that I could think of were, were the quick pans, like, in the beginning, talking about their friends, and poof, there's, there, there's, the move, there, there's the motion there to their friends. They
0: did that, like, when Sean bumps into Yvonne in the street. They're just oh, like, yeah. boom, like, did he get attacked? Or they, or they run into the two groups of friends. They, they do a lot of those, gotcha. like, quick pan I think that's probably yeah, a better yeah. way to say it. But they're supposed to be, like, a, a jump scare. Yeah. But, you know.
1: They didn't scare me either. Yeah, but I I, want to go back to one of those points either KG or Nick mentioned about the the nature of the zombie. I think, Nick, you mentioned this. Zombie rules. Yeah, (laughs) zombie rules. How you you can have, I I think traditionally we call the fast moving zombies of like World War Z. Uh, and things like that, uh, berserker. I think twenty.
0: What was it? Twenty four hours, or so? no? What was it called?
1: Uh, twenty eight days. Yeah. Twenty eight days had berserkers, um, and I think also I am Legend. They were more fast moving. They just couldn't go in the sun for whatever reason. Um, the the movie I am Legend. I think the book. They're they're not like that at all. Um, but you know, you have this this thing they call the berserker, which is that like the kind of fast moving, raging zombie. That kind of runs at something as fast as it can. It, it's much more directed and it's a little more intelligent. I, I think that kind of ruins the movie if it's filled with with berserkers, because it, it it needs to be like, oh no, we can't be like this anymore, right? There needs to be something kind of recognizable in the zombies uh, for Sean and Co. And they need to be able to kind of see themselves in the zombies. If they're these kind of terrifying, fast moving. Somewhat conscious, rage monsters um, that's that's not Sean or Ed or any of the rest of them, and so you know the, the kind of the style of the movie allows you to um, allows you to kind of backdoor the theme
2: yeah, you don't Berserker into the winchester that that, the, that, 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 takes, a, that takes a lifetime to to really get your seat solidly there I think that that's, that that's a great point because had it. Had
3: it been the Berserker style zombies, the movie would have been over at 3032 <laughs> or whatever, you know, that 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 timestamp of first zombie, bang, they're out. <laughs> so what are we gonna do now? Uh and 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 I think the slowness about that even captures the the slow development of change in terms of a person's life there too, to capitalize on on, on what we were saying before too. Um Yeah, so I totally agree with you that I think the style of zombie and the zombie rules in this movie were actually really good and fitting for the plot.
1: Yeah, you have to, yeah, slowly amble over nothing for decades until you fall down in the Winchester and go, whatever, this is where I'll end.
2: I wanted to mention another movie as kind of a pair with Shaun of the Dead. Um, It's a Japanese movie called The Happiness of the Katakoris, uh, it's not that good of a movie, to be honest. But it is a comedy horror musical. Uh, there are some zombies in there. Um, so if you enjoyed Shaun of the Dead and are still in a silly mood, I'd recommend trying to find The Happiness of the katakoris.
0: Do you say that it was better or worse than this film, based on your interpretation?
2: I enjoyed uh, The Happiness of the katakoris a lot more, but that could be because I just like musicals.
1: What is the thing with it? What is it? <laughs> it, it, they just have songs about zombies or is it, uh, a, is it like um, Little Shop of Horrors where it's a, a musical that's on a horror topic?
2: I would say it's more like Little Shop of Horrors. Um, a family buys an inn that they're running and the guests um, struggle to survive in the inn. Not, the, the The owners aren't doing anything to the guests. They, they, the guests through circumstance are dying um, And the family's trying to deal with this and they will often break out into song as one does.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like genre movies like this, you know, being musical horrors, science fiction. um, And we see the science fiction in the later part of the the, the trilogy, right? I think at world's end is pretty sci-fi. They kind of leverage the, they leverage genre types to, um, to, to bring in what Edgar Wright said was he, he, He's using these different genres to backdoor romance. So he's trying to look at at kind of romantic situations and how a, a romantic couple develops or is established using these these genres. Um, and so the you know by by that logic, the kind of the real development or focus of the movie is is on the main couple, on Liz and I can't remember any of these characters' names. Simon Pegg's character is Sean. Sean. He's the main the guy. title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just—I went blank <laughs> a second. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know the, the focus on kind of Liz and Sean and how the horror tropes, you know, reflect or develop or help us understand a kind of a, a traditional movie romantic relationship. Um, I'm not entirely sure about that. I don't know if I agree with Edgar Wright on his own assessment of his movie. Um, But I I did think that was interesting. One of the things
0: that I I did want to bring up with this film, while we were talking before, Tom mentioned something that I didn't catch the reference that when the two group of travelers met, it was a bunch of other well-known English actors. There was other things because this was, even though it's an English language that were specifically British or English, that we may not have caught the references. And this kind of usually comes up when we talk about a foreign film from the Asian region. But I thought there may have been things that we still did not catch, or at least I did not catch because of English to English translation barrier. So I thought that was interesting how uh, there may have been another level that even though I enjoyed it, I actually didn't mind that I know there was a reference I didn't catch because I know there was something that they were referring to.
2: Well, you guys missed that rugby (laughs) paddle. Everyone in the world missed that rugby, every rugby player ever (laughs) missed the rugby paddle.
1: I I think it's also the style (laughs) of comedy. at one point, Sean, in order to get to the Winchester, they're going to cross through people's backyards and jump over fences. And Sean goes to jump over a fence and it just falls over that's like a very British kind of physical humor thing. We, we don't see that as much in, in our comedy anymore. You know, like a kind of police academy thing is over with and has been since, um, you know, like 1986. Uh, I think that's like a very kind of a British style. So it's even beyond reference. I think it's even style is very English. And I think that could
0: actually be even more enjoyable because it's not something we see on a regular basis these days, and it harkens back to things that maybe we saw in movies and our uh, uh, comedies in our youth.
3: Absolutely, and then they they bring that up in Hot Fuzz again, where he does clear you know six or seven fences in a row and does a backflip over one. You know, so you say here as Sean, he's he's inept, but as the super cop, he he is phenomenal. So. And I was going to say, Pat, that's their take on the action genre. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then the um, the guy who plays Ed, Nick, Nick Cave? Nick Frost, Frost. thank you. Nick Frost, Frost in, in Hot Fuzz then tries to do that. He just sort of runs over the fence and just knocks it down. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So after I watched this movie, I started trying to
2: think, what other zombie movies have I seen? Um, and so I'm making a list of my head going through the movie I've seen. I wanted to throw this question out there. Is Weekend at Bernie's a zombie movie? No, I would say no. Also.
3: I, I would, I would say no as well. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, it's I a
0: puppet. Just... <laughs> it's more of a it's more of a puppeteer situation. It's actually kind of even like more morbid if you think oh, about
2: it. Oh, sorry, sorry. I asked the wrong question. Is Weekend at Bernie's two a zombie movie? The one where they use fried chicken instead of real chicken to uh, bring him back from the dead, and he walks around whenever he hears music.
1: That strikes me more as like bringing up baby where it's you know Catherine hepburn and Cary grant have to like raise a monkey <laughs> you know like they have to deal with this monkey um and and the whole thing is kind of a um a, like a goofball comedy or a screwball comedy where it's you know you see the um the, the main conflict is being highlighted by a kind of wacky comic situation i, I think this movie Shaun of the Dead being this, um, has elements of screwball. I think it does, it has, you know, kind of the wacky comic stuff. Um, and so I think kind of a comic zombie movie like this would be screwball, but I don't think Weekend at Bernie's 2 is is a zombie film because the the corpse, the Bernie corpse, isn't representing a threat. He's to anyone. Um, his kind of physical form is reincarnated. There isn't a... Uh, there isn't a kind of a desire to just consume. I mean, it's a really important part of, of the establishment of the zombie. There's all zombie movies are sort of um, looking at the the physical as being all that's left. The, the, the kind of rapacious desire for consumption is all that is left of the individual. And usually that's kind of, you know, whatever, a kind of easy comment on modernity, right? As we're just, consuming things unthinkingly. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of an eye roll at this point. Uh, but without, I think without that element, you're not really talking about zombies anymore. You're talking about, you know, the monkey from bringing a baby. <laughs> yeah, and going along with zombie,
0: it's really survival element on both sides. So usually in a, a, a zombie film, the people are trying to survive. But theoretically, the reason the zombies are, eating is for their own survival so and weekend and bernie's too he's just kind of there and i think that's as deep as i can get in that yeah, reference. I, I would say
1: the zombies aren't trying to survive the zombies are just trying to consume yeah because if i mean we see this with um no but that's how they serve they they have they have a switch flipped
0: and the only thing is i am here because i need to consume which allows me to I, I exist think I'm not saying it's a conscious thing. Yeah, but I think even
1: then, if you see like Walking Dead, I don't know if this is true of all zombie movies, but in Walking Dead, if a zombie never eats, it still is there. Like you could put the zombie in the bottom of a well and just walk away for 20 years and it it will slowly rot and fall apart, but it won't starve to death. That's a good point, but I think
0: they only are trained to do one thing. I'm not saying it's for sustenance. But they know I'm here, and I must yeah, consume. It's
1: it's the so, the need to yeah. consume without a benefit. Yeah. I think that's part of the mm-hmm. the zombie world, right? It's just it's, and there's a you know reason why these movies come along. What post 1950, when you have a, a, a consumption age made possible, is that they just they need to consume. They don't know why, and it doesn't necessarily benefit them, and it hurts someone else.
3: Rewatching the movie now. And I was talking with with Nick a little bit about this. The the instructions that are given over the news when when the when the zombie apocalypse is is occurring was frightfully spot on in terms of the instructions that we're getting right now in the midst of the pandemic. You know, stay indoors, uh, keep your distance away from from others. All of these different things that I thought, wow, that that is. You know, thinking about that 16 years ago, that was a funny part of, oh, that just represents the genre of zombie apocalypse movies. Uh, But now that we're experiencing the pandemic and and the way that things work, it's actually a really interesting take on how,
1: um,
3: how art reflects reality and how at times we see even reality reflect art.
1: Very good point. Yeah, I'm waiting for CNN to tell us to decapitate our neighbors.
0: Well, Pat, I think those were some great points to end uh, the episode on. I'd like to congratulate you once again for being the winner. It was a real nail-biter there to the end. Double bonus round, uh, and uh, you took it down, so congrats. And and again, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed being on today's show, and I absolutely love Talking Pictures trivia.
0: Yeah, we're definitely glad you could join us again. It it was a lot of fun. Uh, Also, thanks again to our voracious editor, KJ, who masterfully crafts these episodes. I'd also like to acknowledge IMDb, which is a great resource for movie information. Check out our website, talkingpicturestrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Join us next time when we discuss our friend Doug's recommendation from 1972 Solaris. Doug will actually be asking the question, so it should be an interesting one. See you then. Ding, 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 ding. Well, Pat, I think those were some great points to end uh, the episode on. I'd like to congratulate you once again for being the winner. It was a real nail biter there to the end. Double bonus round uh, and uh, you took it down. So congrats. And, And again, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thank you very much, guys. It's such a pleasure to be able to join you here. And I, I love talking movies with friends. That, that's the title, right? Talking. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> hey, let me try. It again. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you very much for having me. I, I, thank you very much for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. And I absolutely love talking pictures with friends. All right, so I realized I screwed up on mine again. <laughs> I said talking pictures with friends. I didn't say talking pictures with talking <laughs> pictures <laughs> trivia. So yeah. All right, guys. Yeah, you, so, you can redo it right, if can you want. It. So, yeah. Thanks for having me on, yeah. guys. I really appreciate it, and I absolutely love talking pictures with trivia. <laughs> all right, jeez, Louise. <laughs> God, talking
1: <pictures> how hard <laughs> is this?
3: All right, so yeah, so talking <laughs> pictures trivia, correct? <laughs> jeez, Louise. <laughs> All right. Last attempt. (laughs) Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed being on today's show, and I absolutely love Talking Pictures Trivia. All right. There we go. And that's a
0: wrap. (laughs)